Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by my normal cast and crew of OTB, Chris Nee, Zach Blostein. Gentlemen, hello. Happy May to you. Happy almost May the 4th be with you. Oh, look at you nerding out. <laughs> it's my birthday month. Uh, dude, don't say that. It's my birth month. Just, no, it wasn't, it wasn't birth or birthday. It was like, I can't stand grownups who have a you're birthday just, week. And nonetheless, a birthday my whole month. month. Oh my God. That's ridiculous. No, but I do agree. People that people that celebrate an entire week for their birthday are crazy. <coughs> Newberg. <coughs> what? Actually? Oh, he would let us know that it was his birthday week. <laughs> R.I.P. Josh. Okay, guys, let's get into it. The the comings and goings, uh, literally, uh, Florida State have been pretty pronounced in the last couple of weeks. We had kind of a a dip in the middle of the transfer portal window. And then things got crazy. We covered it pretty extensively. The Josh Farmer saga, what happened there. Uh, and, and then in the last podcast, we talked about him entering the portal, exiting the portal, returning to Florida state. Duke Cooper also left since then. There were a couple more players to leave the team, go to the portal and explore options elsewhere. Uh, and that's where we're going to start off. This episode is what FSU has lost. And we're turn our attention to what they could be gaining and um, there's just the recruiting process with the transfer portal out the windows closed. Who's in there? What are your needs? Et cetera. All that stuff. Uh, since we last talked, the big addition into the transfer portal from Florida State's perspective, or I guess departure, is wide receiver Micah Pittman. He was a starter in the slot last year, also a starting punt returner. So in general, a, a fairly big deal. And he's one of nine players from the roster to go ahead and leave this spring. Chris, just general thoughts on like what FSU ended up losing, portal is closed, the dust has settled. I guess what, what stands out about the 15-day the window that we just experienced? Well, out of the nine, I think there's three that stand out. Pittman, because he's a two-deep, capable starter, definitely helped at punt return, stabilize that position for FSU. Duke Cooper, because safety depth is not very good. He was at worst going to be your third man up at the position. And then Derek McClendon, who happened quite a while back just because he was a too deep defensive end for you at a position where you like kind of having the sure thing as him as your number four. Now you're banking more so on somebody developing and filling in that role, whether it's a Gilbert Edmond, Byron Turner, or somebody else of the like. So I would say those are the three. You know, they lost a few others, but they were mostly guys that were either depth pieces that were essentially passed over, somebody like a Zane Hearing, who's already committed to USF, Brendan Gant, who's more special teams guy than a defensive guy. They pushed Omar Graham to take over that linebacker role. I think they were comfortable with him moving on or a guy who hadn't yet tapped into his potential, somebody like a Tay Woody or a Bishop Thomas who both departed at a very, very deep position. So I don't think those really damage FSU much at all. Before I move forward, I forgot I should give a shout out to our sponsor because they helped make episodes like this one possible. And that is Chattanooga whiskey. Fellas, I was at the Chattanooga Whiskey Distillery and Experimental Distillery doing a tour this past week. And let me tell you what, it was exquisite. What was it like? Well, we got to see the entire, like, behind the scenes of how it's made. They're doing it right. Like, it's cool. Like, all the different malts. You get to see it all. You get to smell it all. It smells like, I don't not like cereal being made, but, like, just really malty. And it's a very distinct smell. When you smell it once, you'll, like, recognize it forever. Uh, and then we got to go to the Experimental Distillery, which is more like just a standard tour and, and you get to do a, a sampling afterwards so we had six different types of chattanooga whiskeys laid out in front of us the 111 was a big hit one of their experimental lines they put out there then we asked them if we could try the rye and they're like sure you can rye not they said uh and then my buddy who was with me ended up drinking all of it which she probably shouldn't have because that's not really what you're supposed to do with those tastings regardless we handled ourselves classically want to uh, thank tim and pat for helping set that up it was a great time if you're ever around Chattanooga, 
check it out. Like head out, head up their experimental distillery. It's a really cool experience right in the heart of Midtown Chattanooga. We had a blast. It was a lot of fun. If you're in the state of Florida, anywhere in one of like the dozen or so states that that offers Chattanooga whiskey, go to your lo- local liquor store, check it out. No, on the bench sent you. We'd appreciate it. Anywho, back to portal stuff. Uh, Byer Sinone, sponsored by the Turner Group. Micah Pittman was the most significant departure of the transfer portal window for FSU. Um, for this upcoming season, oh, Chris is gone. Um, for this upcoming season, I think honestly, I'd argue I'd have known that. I think it's Duke Cooper because of what it creates as far as needs go. Because you know, Micah Pittman leaving we don't know how much of an impact he would have had in 2023 because of the hip injury that he, that he uh, um, had surgery on over, you know, the past few months, we don't know kind of what, how many games he would have played for Florida State this upcoming year. And obviously when he's healthy, he makes an impact, right? Like he is a guy, he's not, you know, some guy that's going to light up the scoreboard for you, um, but he's going to do all the little things. Right. And he's a surefire guy at, at punt return, which is something that in his absence, we saw FSU struggle with. So, yeah, I think he is definitely significant, and the loss of him is significant. But like I said, you knew Duke Cooper was going to be a, your third guy at safety if he stayed. And with him leaving, you pretty much are forced to take a safety now in a in a, in a market, we'll talk about this later, a transfer portal market that is not very robust Ooh, good word. at that position. Yeah, I think I'm with you, Zach. I know it's boring when we agree, but I think Duke Cooper is the the absence that probably or the departure that hurts you the most. Maybe Derek McClendon early on, just from like a a positional value standpoint. But Chris articulated that well. I think they have some younger guys who are who are interested. I can't read that, Zach. It's the kid saying he's officially visiting next weekend. Oh, the Barker kid. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit too. Uh, we were going to drop that. You know, this whole. Uh, so FSU went to to uh, Iowa Western and they offered a kid, uh, Ashlyn, Ashlyn Parker from South Georgia initially. And it, his film's a lot of fun. And we wrote about it on Mills 24-7. But we were talking about when we should report on him taking an official visit to Florida State and said we were going to hold off. And sometimes these things are kind of fun to uh, – a peek behind the curtain, excuse me, easy for me to say, for you guys – uh, we are always trying to weigh like when the right time to drop news is. Do we want to do it right away? There's a lot of like factors in. It's not just whether something's timely. It's like, do you want to get the kid cold feet? Uh, Zach's shaking his head, nodding in agreement uh, that it is this constant like balancing act that we do to try to determine uh, when we should be putting out news. And this is an example of us uh, waiting on it a little bit and probably could have had it out and had the news item out there. But what are you going to do? Did you write about the official visit, Chris? Is that where you went? Uh, I took a quick phone call, but yeah, he, he said it was cool to put it out there publicly. So May 12th to 14th. He wasn't sure earlier this morning when we talked, it would be starting on the 12th or 13th. It got locked in. Um, I, I don't I know just, how much you got to say about him before I dipped out there while I was dipped out there. Um, well, let's keep it. We'll, we'll move it back to him in a little bit uh, and get into okay. like a sequence here. I was just more explaining how we are always doing this balancing act, Chris, of trying to figure out when to write things, when not to, like the right time to. And this is an example of me probably projecting something incorrectly. My bad. Yeah, it's all good. Anywho, uh, so we were talking, we did a little buyer's known on whether Micah Pittman was the most significant departure of the transfer portal, Chris. Uh, Zach Sinoned it. I'm Sinoning it as well. We, we landed on Duke Cooper probably being the most significant just because it creates an absolute need. But, but I got a take for you that I want you to marinate on here, all right? I think Micah Pittman leaving is actually a beneficial thing for the program and that you didn't know what you were going to get out of him this year. Now, if you had a hundred percent healthy Micah Pittman, you knew exactly what you're going to get, then, then redact what I'm saying, but you don't know. Uh, so he leaves and that's going to open up you to potentially pursue a more pro style wide receiver, potentially some of the more upside as well as uh, you kind of are able to open up, I guess, uh, NIL opportunity space as well. Mike Pittman was with the battle's end. Uh, he had agreed to a, a partnership with them. So you were potentially going to be paying someone who may not play this season. And now you have the flexibility to use that elsewhere. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. 
I think that take is only a good one if you fill the spot with somebody who's quality. You're talking about a wide receiver specifically? Yeah, yeah, or or somebody that just amplifies your roster further. But yeah, you need a punt returner. Punt returner was a, a concern of mine during the spring, and I think it's important to get somebody that solidifies that spot. And you knew what you had in Micah as a receiver. And yes, he was injured. You weren't sure to return date. You weren't sure how much availability he would provide to you this coming year. But even if he didn't play this year and then came back the following year, there's value in a player that, you know, sort of the bird in hand type of deal. Um, but no, uh, you you can go and get somebody of high quality. And we're going to talk about candidates of that sort here coming up. I don't want to get ahead of us. So you could definitely replace and it would be really good. But like, I, I don't want to diminish who and what Micah Pittman was for FSU. He was a quality piece of the puzzle last year. Definitely helped punt returns become a solid position. You knew what you were getting him as a receiver. And that's what him playing injured a vast majority of last season. Are you guys at all surprised? And I think we're going to start transitioning here from guys who left the portal to then numbers, allocated space, things like that, and then the actual prospects they're pursuing. Uh, this 15-day window, to me, did not move the way that I thought it would. Uh, I thought FSU would be having guys leave and then bring, bringing guys in. And what's ended up happening is the, the players are going to be coming in here in, in May uh, for visits and stuff like that, and the offers even were like publicly not going out uh, at that point. So it's creating more like a 30-day window again, but like a very like strict, here's the guys who are entering, this is what the market looks like, and now you're going to go shopping. And that was not how I pictured this happening back on April 15th, I guess. So I don't know if you guys are surprised by that, but th this was, uh, I thought May, early May would be kind of chill for us, and it doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen. It's just so different than December because of, you know, there was that 45 or 60-day window in December and January, and it felt like the whole time it was it was a back and forth. You know, obviously we didn't see a lot of departures from Florida State because the battles then did such a great job of of keeping guys on the roster. But yeah, it felt like you know a guy would announce he's departing, and then you know there would be three targets to to monitor that week, um, and they'd all be be taking visits in the meantime. Whereas this one is, like you said, it's like two separate periods, and a lot of schools did this. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because I know there was some discussion on the Florida uh, 24 seven sports board about their strategy, which was very similar to Florida States and that they did not bring in any transfers for visits during the open, uh, the 15 day window, because they were worried that if they bring in a transfer at a specific position, they might see some of the players on their current roster at that position, enter the portal, you know, reading the tea leaves and, and seeing, Oh, maybe that they're bringing this guy to, to start over me. And I think UF lost out on an offensive lineman. You know, maybe they wouldn't have got him, but they didn't even get him in uh, on a visit because they had planned it for after the window and the kid had committed to Ohio State because they hosted him during the window. So I know Florida State's doing UF similar. Fans are, the UF fans are loving that, Zachary. Yeah, they are They are uh, up in arms about it. And it just – it. I think it depends on your situation, right? Because Florida State, they have basically one position they need to add a guy at, which is safety. Um, and a few that they'd like to, um, but UF is in a more dire situation. I mean, their roster outlook is, is, you know, not as good as Florida state's at several positions and, you know, they, they need to continue to add talent. So I don't know if it was the right move on their part, but I also understand the coaches worry about guys jumping into the portal because that was a, you know, a thing that Florida state dealt with, right. You, you had multiple guys, you know, renegotiating, uh, you know, partnerships with battles end um throughout the entirety of the port the the window and and i'm sure that's something a lot of schools had to deal with but i think because of fsu's lack of needs at multiple positions that strategy will work fine for them yeah from a florida state perspective we have the benefit of hindsight we have april in the rear view did fsu lose guys that they didn't want to lose you know maybe Pittman falls in that category most of the others made a decision for themselves. There's probably a couple of them that FSU would have loved to keep. But at the end of the day, you can't hold somebody hostage. If they want to go, you let them go because, you know, you need somebody that's all in, both feet down here where they're at if they want to stick. Most of the guys FSU lost were mostly numbers they needed to lose to get under 85 and potentially have a little room to add. Did FSU miss on anybody in the portal up to this point in time because of the wait-and-see strategy, the – the don't bring somebody on campus and lose somebody you don't want to lose strategy that they employed. I don't think so. So I think it yeah. worked out perfectly fine because you made the valid point. FSU's needs are limited. They, you know, safety, obvious need linebacker probably would like another one just to add further depth into that room with losing a guy like Brennan Gant, who's a more experienced player. 
I don't know that they want a D lineman right now. I don't know that there's anybody in the portal that's appetizing or appealing to them to add to that group. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it's more luxury ad than anything. And, you know, receiver slash punt returner sort of position we're looking at. So, you know, I, I didn't want to, I always do that to myself. I get a little bit ahead and we talk a little bit about needs there, but like, to me, there's nobody that FSU said, well, we're not going to recruit until May 1st. And then May 1st came and he was gone and they were, you know, SOL. Yeah. And, We'll get into it, but like safety being a need, like Duke Cooper leaves in the transfer portal, uh, commits to Colorado. That'll be interesting situation to see. They've had three guys go to Colorado. Duke Cooper has some ties to a, a high school coach. His high school coach is now off field at, at Colorado, um, and and obviously like someone he communicated with during you know his his time at Florida State. So that'll be interesting to see what happens. But Duke Cooper leaves the transfer portal, or for the transfer portal, goes to Colorado, FSU starts becoming more publicly aggressive and pursuing Jalen Key, the UAB safety. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But that did very much a matchup with a timeline of like, oh, a guy who we didn't want to leave ends up leaving. Now we can be public and transparent about this recruitment, uh, which makes sense. Seems like it's a it, it's probably a maximum optimal way to do business if you're Florida State. Uh, looking at the guys who left, again, nine of them. Let's see, Zane Herring has landed at USF. Brendan Gant, Derek McClendon, Omarion Cooper land at Colorado. I think that's it for right now. Uh, we'll see where the, the rest of the guys go, but that's kind of where the – it is a pretty far outcry from when players were going down to the FCS or even lower levels sometimes um, from, from here. So development has been noticed around the country. Now let's talk about what the needs are, what Florida State's room is to, to fill those needs here coming up in May and June. Uh, you are currently, again, you have to be at 85 is always the magical number for scholarships. As I project it right now, and there's a little bit of a variance here, it could be between like plus or minus two. I'm at 81 projected scholarship players that you currently have under scholarship or who will be enrolling uh, that you anticipate. I don't have Destin Hill on that list. I will add him as soon as he's here. Zach, I don't know if you want to provide an update there, but it's just one of those things I can't write his name down in good faith until I know – that he is here and that he exists and that he's playing for Florida state. Yeah. Um, I put up an update yesterday, basically within the last week, I heard that Destin was still expected to join the program this month. And I was given May 12th as the expected day for his arrival at Florida state. So we shall see that's in a little over a week. We shall see. Could the saga be coming to an end? The most, it would be the most incredible comeback story of all time. Uh, but so we're at we're at 81 scholarship players currently projected. Uh, we'll see who gets put on scholarship and, and who doesn't. So that's kind of the range. You have about four guys you can add, give or take one or two again. So that that's the room you have to work with. Chris, you outlined needs. You start off with safety. I would argue that safety is in a complete tier of its own. It's the only one yes. like you have to get a, a experienced body in the room to feel good, correct? Yeah, and you probably truthfully want to add two, just have dependable depth because – so much of the back end of that room is going to be true freshmen, including two who aren't enrolling until the summer months. And then we get to the next tier for me. I think that's probably defensive end. I would take one. It's just a matter whether you find someone who can help and be a be fine being the fourth pass rusher. Basically I'd be fine even like with a situational guy, but FSU is also pretty high on some of its younger players. Byron Turner, Dante Anderson's a name that I've heard multiple times recently is someone they're high on. Uh, and then Jaden Jones, the Juco transfer has been described by Mike Norvell as a wild card because of his length, his athleticism and the unknown that, that he's coming off of a knee injury. Uh, another position that I would put in a similar level there, Zach is linebacker. And I know that's one that you are probably more uh, stumping for than I am. It's like, I think it would be a luxury to add a fourth piece there behind DJ Lundy and the two starters, Tatum Bethune and Kalen Deloach you seem to think that it's almost like a necessity. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this depends on how Blake Nicholson looks when he arrives on campus this summer. But that's the question to me, right? You've kind of got four there with Omar Graham in the four spot, and then the obviously three guys ahead of him with Deloach, Bethune, and Lundy. But I, I think it would be smart for Florida State to, to add a guy that has multiple years that you can kind of work alongside maybe Omar Graham. Um I just, you know, with Brendan Gant gone, he was a really solid uh, rotational piece for them and, and could do some things very well. Um, and, not, you know, obviously 
he had some limitations to, to limitations to his game, but I thought he was important. Um, and I think that's probably the, you know, Chris talked about defensive line. I, we don't think they're going to add anyone there right now, but if there's a second spot on defense behind safety, I think it's definitely linebacker as, as far as where they prioritize a, a portal addition. Um, but as of right now, you know, I, we've mentioned a few guys that they've been involved with, but I don't know of any guys that they're actively trying to really push for to, to add to the program right now. And then the other position that I think that we'd bring up as need is, is probably a strong word here, but one that if you're able to upgrade the position with something that you know surefire like this, this is a, a starting capable piece and potentially an NFL one is wide receiver. We mentioned losing Michael Pittman, had a role, but, but you didn't know what that role was going to be in 2023 because of the offseason injury. Um, you know what you have in Johnny Wilson, but there's a lot of wild cards after that, and you lost Ontario Wilson, your number two wide receiver. Is Winston Wright going to come back at full strength? Like there was encouraging signs in the spring, but you don't know. Uh, Darian Williamson, like we all love, but uh, availability is the best ability. Can Trump Portier ascending, but is he someone – if you're trying to make a national title run, if that's what you think you can do at Florida State, and I think that is what they have, they've claimed that they are trying to do, uh, I wonder if if you can find an upgrade there, more of a stable, surefire piece. So I think wide receiver, if you can find someone who who elevates you to having two you know NFL wide receivers in next year's draft on the roster, like I, I think that's something that you absolutely explore you're strengthening a strength you're sharpening something that you already have on offense with a lot of skill players but you could find some room in the rotation for someone who would who would help jordan travis like further ascend and, and elevate as a quarterback and, and i'm always a fan of of strengthening the strength adding more skill players is always a good thing if you have room for them and fsu yeah. has room and, and that brings us to let's talk about him keon coleman guys michigan state wide receivers in the transfer portal zach has had some great juice on that uh i think this is the kind of guy that you make room for if there's going to be uh, open open roster space, open budget, all that kind of stuff. If you have the chance to add someone with the you know, that can help you out, uh, if you have the NIL opportunities to provide it, if you have the the pitch to make to him, this is someone who you absolutely go all in on. Yeah, uh, the true sophomore receiver out of Michigan State entered the portal this past mm-hmm. week and. Um, you know, he just finished the 2022 season with 58 receptions for 798 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, I put up an update on the board. Uh, you know, you would have already seen this. It was about 24 hours ago now, but I'll, I'll recap kind of what I said. Um, so you guys get to know a little bit about FSU's pursuit of Coleman. Uh, we know that him and FSU have been in contact since he entered the portal on April 30th. So that last day that it was open. Coleman has been responsive uh, to FSU's efforts of recruiting him. And the next step is for him to set up a visit to Tallahassee. Um, the exact dates have not quite been set up yet, but we, we believe that trip is in the process of being planned. I think other programs of note here, and I'll get to why in a second, but LSU is the hometown school. I've heard conflicting things on whether they're truly involved or not, but I think they've definitely been in contact with Coleman over the last week. Oklahoma and North Carolina are the other two schools I've heard. Coleman cares a lot about, you know, his next destination. He wants to play alongside a quarterback that is really talented. Um, That was one of the main reasons why he left Michigan State, because he did not, he was not a fan of the quarterback play there. You know, according to, you know, the people I've I've spoken with over the last 24, 48 hours or so, um, I think that's, that's part of, you know, why he's leaving. Um, and, And I think, in his next destination, like I said, most of the schools he's are, are going to be considering are, are guys that are, are schools that have um, dudes at, at the quarterback position. Um, and obviously, you know, North Carolina has Drake May, who's a, a top NFL draft pick for this upcoming year. And then Oklahoma with Dylan Gabriel, LSU, Jane Daniels, and then obviously Florida State with Jordan Travis. Um, another note here is that Michigan State has not completely conceded him. They're working on keeping him up there in East Lansing, but something they were able to accomplish with uh, with his former teammate, cornerback Charles Brantley, who entered the portal that same day as Coleman, but actually withdrew from the portal. Um, I'm told that's a possibility, but I think that's kind of windled down um, over the last few days as far as the, the chance of him returning, but we'll see. And then, 
you know, another note here is that Jordan Travis and him actually exchanged follows on social media in recent days. Um, I know, you know, some people were, were speculating that Jordan Travis's eyeball emoji tweet a few days ago was in relation to Coleman. All I know is that they have exchanged follows and I believe they've been in contact. Um, so take that for what you will. But FSU is definitely very interested in Keon Coleman. And I think the interest is being reciprocated. What do you think of, of him, Chris? Uh, extremely talented dude, can produce stats, can help you at punt return. So he satisfies all those needs. This is about greed and being even better at a position where you're already pretty strong. And he's a guy that would definitely make you that. FSU did recruit him out of high school. One of the things that hindered FSU's efforts for him out of high school, he had a great deal of interest in playing both hoops and football in college. And he actually did play hoops at Michigan State's first year. I don't believe he did this past year. So that's not a concern in this go-around, but that's something that played into it. If I recall correctly, Kansas, Michigan State, um, I forget, there were a couple others down the stretch. He had kind of a weird finalist list, but it was because of the two-sport interest to a degree. He's from just north of Lafayette, Louisiana, to give you a little bit of idea where he's from, a little bit west of New Orleans, but not all the way west to Lake Charles, for example. And, yeah, super talented kid, explosive you know, I think he knows exactly what he wants in this process. It's much more business instead of, oh, the nice, shiny things. It's about, you know, productive offense, good quarterback, NIL. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think, like you said, dating back to his high school recruitment, he had strong relationships with Coach Norvell, Coach Ron Dugans, and David Johnson, who obviously has ties to the Louisiana area. Um, so I think FSU kind of had that built-in advantage as they tried to, you know, initially reach out in the, when he hit the portal. And I think that's that's probably paid off so far for them. We'll get to it if FSU ends up securing a commitment here. Uh, what did what did Keon get ranked just recently by twenty four seven Sports? He's a ninety three grade, so that would make him you know one of the top, definitely one of the top guys that entered in the spring window, um, but likely you know top fifty or so in the in the overall rankings. And the most valuable thing to me on, on the open market right now is a transfer with multiple years of eligibility. Yeah, and he's a true sophomore. Yeah, so he has multiple years left. Now, hey, if things go right, he has a 1,000 yards and wants to be a one-and-done guy at Florida State, and, and you're able to put together a prolific season with him. Sure, like that that was worth the roll of the dice no matter what. But if you somehow get him for two seasons, he's the heir apparent to Johnny Wilson. Like, you don't have to worry about him transferring out. I'm just saying, like, the, this is a guy who, once his name went in there, once we started to see, okay, uh, there is uh, – there's ties from old recruitments. There's interest because he wants to play with a good quarterback, i.e. Jordan Travis. It was all hands on deck for us in terms of like covering it because like, yeah. oh, this is a guy who makes a lot of sense. And if FSU gets him, I think that's a game changer. That gives you the firepower to contend at a really high level and to make it really difficult for a even, even an elite defense to find ways to consistently stop you because you've got so many different options. But we can daydream about what an offense with him would look like if FSU goes ahead. And get some. That seems like it's going in a really good direction for the Seminoles pretty early on here. Um, yeah. Let, let's talk about the other main transfer target right now, someone who is set to visit uh, this weekend, in fact, and that is Jalen Key, the UAB transfer safety. Had a breakout season this past year, had over 60 tackles, pretty decent PFF grade. Let's see. It was a 72.9. 520 snaps it was kind of like a part-time starter third safety type of deal his offer list Zach is crazy it is it's really yeah it's really robust right uh, I had to throw out robust once this podcast uh, what FSU does have going for it is he's from Gaston County he worked with played for coach Corey Fuller who's currently an assistant at Florida State or off-field coach at Florida State uh, teammates with Josh Farmer and Daryl Jackson, uh, FSU retained both those guys after a well-documented saga. So there's some some ties here local, locally, uh, relationship-wise. There's a need for playing time for Florida State, as I mentioned earlier. But Zach, let's talk about his recruitment real quick. It, it seems like it is a a perfect example of a, a good player in a pretty weak market, and there are a lot of options for him as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, he just dropped a top six of Florida State, Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, Ole Miss, and North Carolina, um, which is obviously a pretty crazy list of, of programs that are involved. And then for, for a guy who was an honorable mention, all conference USA guy, yeah. not a first teamer, uh, again, solid, but 
holy crap, that's an offer list. Yeah, and he's got some stuff working for him, right? He's, he's 6'2", over 200 pounds, so he's a big body. Um, you know, to, just to dive into some of, you know, FSU's chances with him, I guess you mentioned before he's he's from Tallahassee. Um, I have photos of him, you know, from people around him that sent them to me recently of, of him in Doe Campbell Stadium, um, actually when Jimbo was still the coach. So it must have been, you know, really early on in his high school career. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's been a fan of Florida State um, growing up. He attended Gadsden County, like you said, and then he actually transferred to Godby High School, which, as many of you guys know, is only a few minutes away from Florida State's campus. I'm told the most important factor for him is ability to, you know, path to the NFL, path to the league. And um, obviously, if you survey that that top six that I mentioned, I think Alabama is probably the school that stands out as the program that turns out the most NFL draft picks, and especially at his position, defensive back. Um, they, they consistently get guys to the league at, at that position. So, you know, I think right now Alabama holds the edge for Jalen Key. That was the first school that he visited since he entered the portal. Um, I believe he was there last week. And then he's currently wrapping up an official visit to Ole Miss. Like you said, he'll be at Florida State this weekend, and then he's expected to visit both Oregon and Ohio State next week. That's what he had told uh, 24-7 Sports' Chris Hummer in recent days. Um, you know, NIL opportunities will play a factor in, in his decision, like pretty much any transfer, obviously. Um, but they won't be as important as as what I mentioned before, his path to the NFL. Um, he's been assigned an 89 grade in the in the 24-7 Sports rankings in the portal. And that you know probably is a high three-star, low four-star kind of grade. This past season, he posted 60 tackles, four and a half for loss, and three interceptions. Fair to describe him as a capable coverage man who's a very sure tackler. Uh, so I'm getting I'm getting low internet signs. So if it's choppy, like yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the tackling part of it, Chris, is for sure like the strength. Like he's someone who's very comfortable tackling in space, attacking in space. Uh, and yes, capable of coverage. He doesn't seem like he's a liability there. I don't think you want to leave him on an island. But um, you talk about like a third safety, like someone who can help you rotationally, and you know what his strengths are, and he has like three or four like tools in the tool bag to help you out. Like I, I think he's a nice player. I think he would definitely help out, especially with a team that lacks a lot of safety options. And in a market, a safety market that wasn't good back in December, and it hasn't gotten any better with this window. There's not a whole lot of of capable guys. So yeah, I think that's a good way to describe him. He'd be able to help you out. Saw him against LSU this past year. I think he had 12 tackles and like 30 snaps, something crazy like that. And like impactful tackles too around the line of scrimmage. He can play at this level. I think that's probably why you're seeing the, the power five teams that he's getting interest from talking to him so much is because they, they see someone who's still ascending. He went from being a reserve to more of a starter this past year. Talked to someone familiar with his recruitment that uh, more of him as a person just said he's very professional now he handles things handles his business uh someone who, and that's why florida state i think is interesting because they know they'd be getting a pro there they can you know beat out alabama for a defensive back which is easier said than done i think we've learned over time with fsu that they do a great deal of work in the sense of kind of flipping over every rock evaluating every option truly taking a look at what's there and what's available and i think safety is a good depiction of that right now I'm going to transition the conversation from a transfer to a Juco kid. Ashlyn Barker is a name that's come up over the last 24 hours. Adam Fuller traveled to the Midwest yesterday, went to a couple of schools, one of those being Iowa Western Community College. If you keep up with the Juco's, which God knows I love keeping up with the Juco's, IWCC is a really good program. They produce a lot of kids. They've had several draft prospects over the last few years, a ton of D1 signings over the last, I think it's 14 years. I mean, it's a very high number. So it's a very good quality Juco program kind of like a butler and a few of those types. Uh, this young man is from Columbus, Georgia, Northside High School up there. They weren't very good when he was there. They had the COVID season. They had a coaching change. whole lot of reasons why a kid might get overlooked at a certain school, and that's what happened in this case. He is a full qualifier, four years of play, redshirted this past year at IWCC. So you're going off of senior film from his time at Northside and practice film as he competes against really high-level players at IWCC. That's what you evaluate on. Adam Fuller visits yesterday, likes what he sees physically in person. They offer last evening. Visit gets set up. He announced that visit would be May 12th, yeah, which is a week from this coming Friday. 
Ball State's had him on campus. The offer list is not robust, to steal a Brendan term. You know, Ball State currently, Jackson State, and New Mexico. And uh, New Mexico State, sorry. And, yeah, FSU's sort of in the position where if they want to grab this kid at the middle of the month, he's certainly an option for them. And, you know, you can read quotes with him on the website. I got to put him a little bit more this morning, talk to some people around him, talk to somebody at IWCC, somebody that knows him from his high school days as well. A lot of praise for the kid. Said he's kind of, you know, bet on himself. And, well, here he is. He has a really good option back in the Southeast, playing for a high-level program potentially, and it's a good thing. Uh, I think we list him at 6'3", 200. I don't know if that's the definitive measurements for him, but I was told that when FSU checked him out yesterday, they were satisfied with what they saw from a physical standpoint. Did you watch his huddle, Chris? I did. It's senior film from Northside. He also has some practice clips from IWCC on his Twitter. Check those out as well. Gets downhill, very physical kid, real good finisher. Not a whole lot of turn and burn on high school clips. There are a couple examples of it, and he does find it. It's just there's not a ton to evaluate in that regard. Most of his work was coming downhill and done in front of him. But, you know, I, he, he looks big on film. He looks plenty physical on film. I certainly think he can do some things. I get, I get some Shaheen Brown vibes, just both with a lower profile guy and then a, a long athletic physical safety who can move attack forward at a high level. Yeah, and I, I think they love guys that are maybe a little more quick than fast. You know, Jamie Robinson's always been described that way, for example. They certainly want physicality at that position. They want guys who can end plays effectively at that position. This young man on film shows that. The coverage is the only question I have, and he might be really good at it. I just didn't see a ton on film to tell me whether or not he was good on it. So, you know, I have a little bit wait-and-see attitude with that. Uh, let's see. In the transfer portal, before we move forward, there's a couple linebackers. I'm blanking on their names. The Michigan kid and the Northern Illinois kid. And, and Zach's the dude, but he's on the phone right now. He's the dude who's, who's covering those guys a little more closely. Um, the Michigan one has like three hyphens. Or one hyphen. Three three names. I'm I'm going to let you hang out here and just keep doing this because I'm oh, humored by it. No, you have it. You have the names. Are you, are you talking about the Michigan kid that's commanded to Charlotte? Is that yes. who you're referencing? Okay, so it's Nakai Hill Green. Uh, he's it. dealt with injury in his career at Michigan. He's a kid that's trying to come back. Um, he was described as a high-end rotational player prior to that injury. The other young man is Davon Rayner, who's at Northern Illinois. I believe Rayner is a Florida native, if I recall correctly. And uh, he did claim an offer from FSU. We were told kind of pump the brakes on that, but I believe there's conversations between he and FSU. Anything to add on the linebacker, Zach? You were you were on the phone, but we were just talking about the, the final, like, portal prospects or guys to maybe keep an eye on yeah i mean those are the the two to monitor um that chris mentioned and then you know i don't know if of a if florida state's really you know pushing super hard for those guys but they like chris said i think they're in communication um as they evaluate all the options on uh in the portal right now okay so that kind of catches us up where we're at what we've covered the last few days uh puts in a little ribbon on the portal window being open. Now it's that second wave where you're going to start the recruiting process. Uh, let's see the, what else I want to get to. I want to talk about some like ideas of what May leads into with June. I'll let Chris talk about that in a minute. Uh, you know, I want to talk about the draft real quick. FSU had one player drafted. That was Jamie Robinson in the fifth round. He went to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, good for Jamie. That was probably on the low end of where he was expected to go, but, but still uh, he gets drafted. FSU guys has had two players drafted in the past two classes combined. Jamie Robinson and Jermaine Johnson, both transfers. Care to guess the last time FSU had just two players drafted in a two-year span? Thanks for reading my article. Very end of 1974. Good job, Zach. Thanks for reading the article. 74 74 to 75, uh, a year before Bobby Bowden arrived. So – I was going to say the very end of the pre-Bowden era, so hey, and I didn't read your article. You would have been correct in that. Um, So yeah, it's been a while, and basically what the article was, the column, was a look ahead to what Florida State is probably going to have drafted, or at least draft caliber players. We've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but I think we can lean into it for a few minutes here. Uh, This is, to me, the rebuild is done. Like we've seen it, it's built now. And now you're just, you're, you're tidying up things, but the Jamie Robinson being the only guy drafted, I think is reflective. It's like the draft can be a couple years sample size of like, it's a sample set that is a couple years delayed up to where you're going. So I think next year you're going to start to see like, Oh, all the 
the the fruits of FSU's labor of developing players, recruiting, evaluating, all those things happening, 2024 draft. And it starts with Jared Verse. Chris, like how how many mock drafts did you look at where you saw him going in the first round? I think I looked at 10 and he was top 10 in all 10. And there were a couple that had Johnny Wilson and uh, Fabian Lovett also in the first round. One had Fabian, a couple had Johnny Wilson. I mean, Johnny Wilson will have the potential just because of the size. Uh, Fabo, I don't know if he has enough pass rush juice, I guess, to be a first round guy combined with some like injuries and, and being a little older, but a draftable player. So that's three right off the bat there. Jordan Travis, I, I wrote about this yesterday. Why not? Like we we have gone, we've we've kept recalibrating our expectations of him. If Stetson Bennett can go in the fourth round, why can't Jordan Travis go in the fourth round? Like the the two main knocks are age, height, I guess passing velocity. Um, but but two out of the three certainly almost don't matter anymore, or at least to the extent that what people would have thought like four or five years ago. Um, so that's another guy who could go. Who else? Who else? Jaheim Bell probably has NFL uh, draftable upside. That gets you to five. Jeremiah Byers, this is a guy who I'd bet on. Yeah, I would too. The the transfers of Jeremiah Byers. Who else, Zach? <laughs> I, said, I said we know you would, Chris. Oh, you wouldn't just bet on it. Uh, Braden Fisk, potentially. Patrick um, Payton, if he takes the next step. Yeah, I could see that. That'd be a year ahead of what you think, but like, why not? Daryl Jackson, if, if he has it buttoned up this season, like all the tools are there. Yep. Bernardo yeah. Green or Fenshaw Cypress. Yeah. Jarian Jones, like his later end guys. Like you're talking about if if guys ascend, if they develop, which we've talked about this before. Players develop under this program, like this regime. We, we know that now. We're talking about about 10 or so players who could get drafted uh from this year's roster. High like upper upperclassmen. That's not getting to the the younger guys like a Hikeem Williams, a Dre Jacobs, uh, Josh Farmer, Aotafase, uh Lucas Simmons is almost assuredly like he has the frame uh, and moves well. Like he he has all that potential to be an early round draft pick. So it's fun to think about where the program came from, where it's going. I think with the Willie Taggart era, his two classes, and I know it's not necessarily fails a fair sample set with just two classes, but I think he produced one NFL draft pick, and that was Asante Samuel Jr., who was committed to the previous regime and probably would have been a pro no matter what. So you had a lot of things to work out, to improve on, to rebuild it. It's been rebuilt, and you're now starting to see that kind of manifest itself, or you will soon. Um, yeah. A couple footnotes to give Brendan a moment to catch his breath. Thank you. One, some of it was diminished numbers because of retention. You know, if FSU doesn't retain their roster as well as they did, they probably do have another pick or two. Also, a few other guys did get the undrafted free agent. Uh, Cam McDonald, Packers, Pokey Wilson to the Chargers. Robert Cooper to the Seahawks. Wyatt Rector got a rookie minicamp invite to the Raiders. Yeah! <laughs> we could see potentially, you know, uh, some more rookie camp mini invite type stuff too. So uh, just to know, I uh, you know, draft, draft matters. Kids want to go to a school and get drafted. It's definitely a selling point. I think as FSU continues to improve in selling points as a football program, winning on the field, developing players, so on and so forth, the draft is the next thing where they're going to be able to kind of pound their chest and be able to say, yeah, hey, we can do that too. I, I once did like a – I was one off season. I got bored and I was doing like a re-ranking the class or evaluating like how certain classes did. And one of the criteria I used was if you were an all-ACC player or a draft pick in this range to give you a certain amount of points to. And I remember someone on the board pushing back and being like, why do draft picks matter? Because look at all the graphics that Florida State sends out when they get someone drafted or Alabama or Georgia, like – uh, that is that is a pitch for some players. It is the pitch of of I mean, we mentioned Jalen Jalen Key earlier. Like he wants to go somewhere that's going to turn him into an NFL caliber player. Like yeah. it matters. Jamie Robinson's a fifth round pick and he's about to make four million dollars. He'll make eight hundred thousand dollars on the cap next year. And I think his signing bonus was like three hundred thirty K. That's a hell of a lot of money. At the end of the day, football players want to get paid to do what they excel at. And that's a selling point. There's a reason Bama says since Nick Saban's been in Tuscaloosa, NFL players from Alabama have earned this, you know, billion dollars. There's a reason that's that's a selling point. You know, mom and dads want to see graduation. NIL is now a huge factor in everything, as we all know. But at the end of the day, getting paid long term at NFL rates, there's nothing that's a better selling point for a football program. You also have like NFL, like the sooner you get in, the the faster you can start becoming part of like the retirement plan. Yeah. Three years active, get vested, get that. Yep. Yeah. So 
it, it matters. And Florida State's moving that direction, which is encouraging. Another thing moving in a good direction, APR, academic progress rate, is something the NCAA enacted back in like the early mid-2000s. Basically a way of judging how teams are doing, different athletic programs are doing with, with academics. It's the student part of student athlete, and we can roll our eyes. And, and I know I do when that, that phrase gets pushed around because you know, a lot of times these are, these are athletes first before students, but a lot of times not as well, like in different sports. So uh, it is still a part of the equation that matters. And it's something that as long as it is being cared about, like Mike Norvell is going to care about it. And it's part of this holistic approach of this program. We've talked about this before, like the GPA ascending for Florida State, the Chris talked about in the last podcast, I think, of, of GPA and um, just progress rate there and, and how guys are doing. Like we, we've we acknowledged this and it is pretty remarkable, like how much that's turned around. But the APR, which factors in like a four-year rate with graduation and player retention, things like that, uh, is a good indicator of how a program is doing, which is kind of like being tidy and handling its business. It doesn't mean you have to be like academic all-stars. It just means you're you're being competent and being functional. Chris, there was a time where the program was not that. And no, was, certainly not. And what they, they didn't care. It was very Wild West, and they just it didn't matter. They could act like it mattered, and they could pitch like it mattered, but it didn't matter. Walk into the moor, go beyond the elevators, look on your left. There's a banner with Seminole, Seminole Scholars. In the time that Mike Norvell has been here, that thing has constantly gotten more and more filled by guys. They wear a patch on their uniform if they earn it. It matters. They care about it. You know, when Mike Norvell does these booster tour stops, he talks about having the highest team GPA in school history last fall during the season. Really impressive when you think about the fact that it was in season. And, you know, we see Norvell day to day in the more enough in the more auditorium enough to know that, like, he'll ask a kid about, like, how class is going or are they doing their stuff? And they do keep up with it. They make sure guys are attending class. It does matter. It's an emphasis of the program. And I think it more than anything, I think it's a matter of if you can get it done in that regard, they trust that you can get it done with learning the playbook and doing what you need to on the field. It's it's sort of showing self-responsibility. I think that's where it falls in line. And at the end of the day, it produces good grades. And FSU is currently sixth this past year or past year. The cycle is for 2021-2022 is the most recent data. FSU is sixth in the ACC with its APR. It's usually a score of like nine 9.30 to 1,000 if you're below 9.30 for multiple years in a row. Uh, that ends up being problematic for you. You can have some sort of penalties, scholarship reduction, practice time reduction, things like that. Although that's currently on hold, I, I think kind of post-pandemic as, as things get stabilized. Uh, but regardless, FSU is not anywhere close to having to worry about that. They're at 9.81 behind only Wake Forest, Boston College, Clemson, NC State, UNC, and then you have FSU there. And you know, it's funny we talk about this being like holistic. Chris mentioned this being a point of emphasis. Are you handling your business? Football programs like Clemson and UNC that have, have ascended, you know, in recent years and have gotten better, you've seen their APR get better. And that's probably not a coincidence that's speaking to buy-in to people listening to messaging of just again doing the thing that you're supposed to do. Go to class as part of this transaction that the college football players have. This is part of it. FSU in 2017-18 had a multi-year, which is a four-year rolling window they have, APR rate of 936. Again, if you get to below 930, that starts to become a problem. And that had been like descending. In 2013-14, in it was at 955, and then it went down to 945, 939, slight bump up to 941, and then bottomed out at 936. So I have a graphic up on Knowles247.com, but it's cool. You can actually see it looks like a like a like a roller coaster, an inverse roller coaster, where like all of a sudden. 2018-19 starts going up a little bit. I think Willie Taggart starts to at least have some like competency there. Black Norvell comes in and, and it gets straightened out in a way that is pretty profound and pretty important for Florida State. So kudos there. There's a lot of people within the program, the athletic department, that make that happen. A lot of people in academics and, and whatnot to help make sure that players are, are doing what they're supposed to do. Players, again, taking care of business. So, yeah, it, that's another good thing ascending for Florida State. Uh, Chris, anything sports-wise outside of football that we want to discuss? I mean, I, I'll dip in real quick. Hoops, you know, has added three transfers. What I've had four lead the program, the four that left the program, Matthew Cleveland, Caleb Mills, Naheem McLeod, and uh, Jeremiah Bembry. Bembry never played. McLeod, Syracuse is about to host some Cleveland's deciding between three, including Miami, Auburn, and Mizzou. 
and uh, Caleb Mills already has landed at Memphis. FSU has added three. They got BCU transfer Jameer Watkins, very good defensive wing forward type guy. They also got a couple of guards, point guard Primo Spears from Georgetown, probably the best score of the three they've added, and then Josh Nickelberry, who's coming from LaSalle. Uh, I think they still would like to add a big, but that's a market that's not uh, – there's a lot of guys who are two-time transfers in that market who aren't graduate transfers, and that could be a big stumbling block. And then the guys who are not dealing with that stumbling block, the who's who's, the Kansas, the Dukes, those types, they're pursuing them. So it's kind of a tough market to get into. Uh, baseball is baseball, not very good. Listen to Sunday Golds if you want to live in that misery. Uh, God bless Brett for getting through 43 games at this point and them only having 15 wins. Softball about to wrap up the regular season. If they beat Louisville this weekend, one game, they'll win the ACC. Lonnie will do it again. They play Florida this evening, looking for a season sweep of the Gators. Beach volleyball, men's and women's tennis. They're in the postseason NCAA tournament stuff. You can stick to the message board. I'll, I'll have you covered on that stuff. All right. And then the last thing I want to get to, I think, oh, first off, shout out to the Turner Group. Appreciate uh, them sponsoring Byers We had so much this episode, I don't think we were able to get into a full game of Byers but they're sponsoring us talking about buyers to know uh, Colin and Amy Turner do a great job with the housing market in central Florida and actually throughout the state of Florida as they're under the Keller Williams umbrella. If you're kind of in the market, want to dip your toes into it, kind of see what's out there. It's ever changing. Go ahead and, and look up the Turner group online. Colin and Amy Turner can help you out. Let Colin know that we sent you here and on the bench. If you just want to talk to him, talk FSU football for five minutes, I'm sure he would love to. And uh, we'd appreciate the shout out. Uh, to let him know that you guys are listening. You heard about him from us. Okay, final thing. A round of applause to Zach Blostein, who our little baby boy is going to graduate this this weekend. Zach, great job. Thank you. I think people forget that Zach is still in college, that he is often wise beyond his years, even though he can act somewhat uh, prepubescent and moody sometimes. Get it from you. Yeah, I can be a little sassy. That's fair. But we are proud of you. Congratulations on that. Uh, enjoy your your day, take some nice pictures, spend $500 on those photos. If you have any graduation no, photos, I took my own. You took your own, you found a little hack. Yeah. I think I'm going to like make a dent in the market. I think those people are making a racket out that kind of stuff. And a keen dent in the market. Am I right? Oh God. Thank you guys. Right. What's on this thing. All right. For Zach Blossing, for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been on the bench. Thanks to Chattanooga whiskey. Thanks to the Turner group guys. We'll talk to you later. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.